0: And we are live. Welcome to episode 3165 of the Survival Podcast. For Bitcoin Breakout, we're up to episode. 18. I actually had a guest lined up for today that uh, didn't last minute bail on me or anything. It was a couple of weeks ago. Some things gone on in his life. And he's like, I'm not going to be able to attend. So I had time to book another guest or move a guest up that we had booked further out. But I thought, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the world of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network that I want to have discussions about. And a lot of times my guest isn't really the person to have that specific discussion, or at least like if it's a variety of stuff like today, like we're going to talk about a little bit more about the fold card, a question I get about that all the time. Buying stuff with Bitcoin when people don't take Bitcoin, should you even worry about it? Um, We're going to talk about why shitcoin projects fail so miserably. We're going to talk about uh, an idea I have that would be a great product to build on Bitcoin. And there's actually a product that's 99% there that just they use a shit coin because, well, they do. Um, we're going to talk about the Lightning Network and a lot of BS about the Lightning Network that I've heard on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, is such as it's controlled by banks, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard a human being say in my life. Uh, we're going to talk about the the claim that no one uses Lightning. We're going to look at exactly how much use there is on a Lightning Network. Um, the argument about lightning network, but it uses a third party. Why that's stupid, just stupid. And why the people that say it are generally using lots of third parties for everything they do with crypto. Um, when I say the market will make the lightning uh, network scale, the market itself will cause the scaling to happen. What I mean by that. why well, I don't even worry about that. You know, we'll, we'll lightning scale. Uh, we're going to talk about what do you do if you're holding shit coins right now, or maybe, eh, not total shit coins, right? And you're like, I really want to get into BTC, but uh assuming you have some already, like maybe some of these should be held a little longer before you get out and move it over to Bitcoin. How do you make that decision? One of my favorite answers, of course, is it depends. It doesn't just apply to permaculture, guys. Um, we're going to talk about why products like Wallet Satoshi are fine for day-to-day lightning use and why the whole – well, it's custodial doesn't even matter with the type of transactions we're talking about, and why they're actually really private compared to running your own Lightning node, at least for now. Uh, we'll talk about something that really destroys the energy argument: the current Bitcoin uh, hash rate during a bear market. That's something that people aren't talking about and should. And we will talk about micro strategy for all the fud about they're gonna get a margin call there. They're like quadrupling down selling some of their own shares of stock and buying more Bitcoin and how they're even some of the mainstream media is even flooding that. So as you can see, this would not really be a lineup to talk to a guest about. Unless I have, like, if I have Guy Swan lined up or Brian Harrington, we can do all that. But a lot of times my guests are from specific companies going into their tech. So I thought this would just be a great opportunity to talk about this on a different level. Before we dig into it, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors today. Uh, I have two sponsors of the day for you today, and sponsor of the day number one is Start9. Start9 will help you take back your digital sovereignty. That's what it's all about. Yes, you can run a Bitcoin node. Yes, you can run a Lightning node. That's great. That's exciting. That's wonderful. I just did a show, though, with Jesse Markowitz last week on all of the types of things that Start9 will enable. I know the the Baseline Embassy is sold out right now. I'm waiting to hear back from Matt Hill about when those will be in stock again. Uh, The kind of upgraded server, the one that's a little bit more than a $1,000, bucks, they are taking pre-orders on that. Um, I'll get some more information for you guys on Matt. But it's definitely something to check out. Go into their marketplace and look at all of the, the apps that you can run on your own server, your own private messaging. And I'm looking really hard at upgrading to the newest kind of beefed up faster can handle more users version and starting to set up some of my own 100% privately encrypted chats for groups that I allow people into only and to start working more and more toward the concept of closed networks uh, for people that want to do business with each other in a private manner and to start ferreting out more and more about my ultimate plan for human sovereignty. uh, We call that the digital nations. Next up today, the Ridge Wallet. Now, I'm sure you hear wallet, and if you're listening to a Bitcoin show, you're like, Bitcoin wallet? No, this is a wallet wallet. And this is a wallet that I actually own and carry myself all the time. It's the Ridge Wallet. Here's mine right here in my hand. I love this thing. It protects your digital identities. You know, you have all these credit cards and stuff and identifications now, and they have RFID chips in them. All that information can be sucked up for really cheap parts you can buy on eBay. When you encase it in titanium, that ain't going to happen. And it's just really a cool, awesome, cool company to check out. Uh, again, look at some of the stuff they have now. They've really expanded their line of EDC gear since I brought them on. And remember, Ridge Wallet and Start 9 both We'll get to that one in a second, that slide y'all are seeing right now. Ridge Wallet and um, Startline both do discounts for MSB members. The Startline discount would pay for a membership, one of my, my private membership, for three years if you bought the least expensive thing that they have. Uh, the Ridge Wallet discount's 10%. It ain't going to pay for your whole membership, but it's good quality product, and therefore it's not cheap, so 10% matters. And uh, that's just two of over sixty uh vendors that we have discounts with for you. If you want to learn more about that, go to the survival click on members to learn more. All right, so I wanna say before we start here, if you have questions or comments for me to, to pay to, to comment on, please put at least the first few words in all caps if you're in the live chat. If you've already done that, and I I would say do it again because when I'm running the, the multiple screens and stuff like that, I miss stuff. And at this point, I probably have missed a couple already. Also, remember, I will never, and I mean never, ever, never, ever, never, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ask you for any private information, especially in the comments in a video or on social media. I don't use WhatsApp, the person that you'll see with my logo and saying, hey, contact me here for special information. Bullshit. I don't do that. If you want to talk to me, talk to me by email. If you see something like that in the comments, just because it's got my picture or something, it doesn't mean it's me. And if it's saying stuff like that, I didn't do it. Please report it, and we'll see if YouTube or Instagram or whoever the hell you're on uh, cares about that. I will never, ever, never, ever, never, 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 ever do that. I know at least one person got scammed. Uh, I feel bad about it, but you can only do so much, I guess. All right, let's start digging into this. So a question I've gotten over and over is Jack? Why do you prefer the Fold card to BlockFi? And I, I don't really necessarily like have anything against a BlockFi credit card, but you know BlockFi is a credit card, Fold is a debit card. Right off the bat, that's a different thing. Um, when I am putting money through my Fold card, my big thing is I am spending money that I would have spent anyway and I'm looking to maximize my return on it. The BlockFi is a flat 1.5% uh, charge or uh, Bitcoin back on everything. I'm not aware of any kind of bonuses or things that they do like that. I almost never get less than 1.5% with Fold by using the spins and what have you. And in many instances, I get a hell of a lot more, especially on small purchases. And I wanted to kind of just... For those of you on the video, give you kind of a, a view into what that actually looks like. So if you if you look here, this is uh I took my wife out to, to lunch at uh, the woodshed is a beautiful place on the river in Fort Worth. Kind of a higher end place. All we had was a few drinks and some deep fried chicken skins about as keto as it gets. The drinks weren't there, the margaritas. Um But, you know, we sat there for several hours and and enjoyed some people watching in the river and what have you. And I only had a few spins available. So when I hit 1.5 instead of 1, I, like, said, well, I'm going to take that. So 1.5 would have been the same I would have got from BlockFi. The important thing is to look at the amount of sats that was on this particular day. It was 7,244 sats on $107. All right. So keep that in mind as I go to the next one. So this was a purchase that I made at TJ Liquor, which is a little liquor store up here. It was probably a bottle or something. It was the same day. And you can see that when I spun the wheel, I got a purchase history match, and they gave me one sat for every dollar I'd spent in the last 30 days. Now, we pay all our Bills with the phone card except for the car payment because they won't take it. We pay our electric bill, our health insurance for Dorothy and myself. I just bought a great, big, very expensive uh, vac uh, vac machine. Uh, what do you call it? A chamber vacuum machine. That was like eighteen hundred bucks. So I've spent five thousand dollars in the last 30 days. Now, I know something like, holy crap. Well, again, we pay every single thing. If you can pay it with a Visa card, we pay it through fold. That's our rule now. Well, that means on a $15 charge, I got 5,000 sats. I didn't work out the percentage on that. But if you look at, again, I want to go back to the woodshed, $107, 1.5% got me 7,200 sats. At the liquor store, I spent $15.89, and I got 5,000 sats. And I found when I have a lot of spins and I use them on low purchases, almost inevitably, not every time, but most of the time I end up getting that option. So I really like to use my spins on my smallest purchases. If I go you know, pick up a pack of beef jerky or something, I'm going to use that. Here's another example, though, and this is something I just don't think you can do with BlockFi. We buy a lot of stuff from Amazon every year. I always, at least for the first $500 in spending, Spend my month, my Amazon money through Fold. And I do it by first buying an Amazon gift card. They give you a code. You drop it in your Amazon account and it recharges your gift card balance. You get a 5% cash back or, or Bitcoin back on that. So on 50 bucks, I got another 10,000 sats. And then you're going to go spend that money on Amazon that you were going to spend on money on Amazon anyway. And on a, on another small purchase, I got a 1% gift card boost. And that meant if I was going to buy, and I knew I was going to buy a gift card that day because Dorothy wanted to order some stuff. So I ended up getting another 2,200 sats. So I got 12,800 sats on a, a $50 purchase. So I, I just don't think you're going to be able to do that kind of thing with, with BlockFi. Now I, I understand that that requires a little bit of game theory and what have you, but guys, it's worth doing. And if you're this is using Fold Plus by the way, which is a hundred dollars a year or ten dollars a month, they give you to free for thirty days. And to me, this is fiat done right. When I have to spend fiat, I want it to result in Bitcoin going into my hands. And the, the, how much tax am I going to pay on that Bitcoin? Being totally above board with the IRS, if I were to tell them what was happening, nothing, zero. Because I'm not being paid in Bitcoin, I'm receiving a discount on a purchase. It's not considered income. And that's according to the IRS. So this is never tax Bitcoin because I don't spend my Bitcoin. Isn't that beautiful? And this is Bitcoin with no kind of purchase history or anything like that. Now, does is BlockFi worth having? You know, if it works better for you, go get BlockFi. I'm not going to – like, I'm not – I don't have a fold logo tattooed on my arm in gold or something like that. I just think it works really well. And if you want to know more about it and and and, and get the fold card yourself, uh, I have it in today's show notes. But all you have to do is go to bitcoinbreakout dot com forward slash fold, and you can find. All the ways that I game the fold card, and I think it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Which brings me to my second point today. I got a question from somebody yesterday in email, but how do I buy groceries or gasoline with with Bitcoin? Uh, You buy it with the fold card and you get Bitcoin for spending fiat. That's my honest answer. Now, the people that I, I feel differently about this question for. If you earn a significant portion of your income in the form of Bitcoin, like you're running a business and people pay you in it and you need to spend some of it, then you can use something like BlockFi, and that's probably the best way to go. But this is honestly what I do. If I am buying from somebody and they do take Bitcoin, I'd never spend my Bitcoin. I open the Strike app, S-T-R-I-K-E, Right. The strike app. You can download that and, and install it on your thing. You go to my Bitcoin tools page, which is the Bitcoin breakout for slash tools. And use my link and that'll give me a little bit of money. Help me out. It's up to you. I don't care. Do it either way you want to. And I go into strike and I go deposit the and I deposit the amount of money and a little bit of extra just to be careful, be sure that it's going to cost me. And that happens in seconds. And I have dollars in strike. And then I take their QR code or whatever, and I scan it, and I pay them in Bitcoin. And I have never had Bitcoin. I only had dollars. I've not created a taxable event for me. And the only taxable event they've created is the one they would have had anyway, which is they've received compensation for a thing, whether it's dinner or a, a, a widget. It doesn't matter. That's what I do. I do not have the desire to spend my Bitcoin that I'm hodling. Now, I do spend Bitcoin, like, supporting other podcasters on Fountain, and it's more of these Layer 2 apps. Like, there is what you'd call fun money. But when it comes to spending money in the real world, I want to use the beast's money where it makes sense, and I want to use Bitcoin where it makes sense. And the beast's money makes sense getting out of my hands, and Bitcoin makes sense getting into my hands. Now, there's a lot of people that feel different. They are like, we need to do every transaction we can in Bitcoin, you know, get to zero, don't use any fiat, If that's what you want to do, fine. It's not only complex though right now, it creates an accounting nightmare. Now, I do think this, some of these new crypto regulations and stuff that might come through, a lot of it will be bad and some of it will be good. And one thing that might be good is this concept of de minimis purchases. And that number has been bounced around anywhere from 200 bucks to 600 bucks, meaning If you use crypto for in any given transaction for less than whatever that number ends up being, there's no taxable event, right, unless it's trading, which would be capital gains under U.S. law, whether I agree with it or not. And so that you can start to use Bitcoin that way, that would help people in that situation. But I have no desire to have, you know, 57 sheets of printed out crap to go to my CPA to account for profit and loss. I do think we'll get to a point people will begin to begin to build apps that actually create a tax report document for you. And you might think that's bad, but that could be good because you don't just pay capital gains on Bitcoin. You take capital losses. And if the and until it's such time that they close the wash rule with Bitcoin and they haven't yet. And I don't think it's in the proposed regulations either. You can sell and buy back Bitcoin, capitalize a loss, and you can do it instantly. You can literally sell it right now, buy it back in 30 seconds, record the loss. So if you had float Bitcoin and you were siloing it into a place, so first in, first out doesn't screw you over. I can't get into what that means today, but only the spendable Bitcoin is going into this one place. So first in, you're just an aggregate average. You could literally be capitalizing losses on an ongoing basis and minimizing your tax impact of doing all this stuff. But doing it manually, I have no interest in it. Bitcoin is never money or maybe someday money. And so that's how I handle it. I spend dollars into Bitcoin when somebody wants it. I spend dollars to dollars when somebody wants dollars, and I do it through the fold card whenever I can. And all I'm trying to do is every month, at the end of that month, I want to be able to answer a, a one question with yes. Do I hold more sats now than I did on the first of the month? And I have not had a month go by in years where I couldn't say yes to that. And that's what I recommend. That's what I recommend. And maybe someday things will change and it'll be easier to spend and it'll make sense. Right now, you, you save the thing that holds value across decades. You spend the thing that loses value across years. There you go. All right. Uh, I also wanted to talk, thank you for the uh, $5 super chat there, Byron. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And uh, really appreciate it. And again, guys, if you, if you want to ask me questions or have me comment on something, uh, go ahead and please uh, make sure you put all caps in there. And I'll try to pay attention to it. i got a lot going on, multiple screens here. So if I miss it, I'm sorry. Anyway, I want to talk about why shitcoin projects typically fail so miserably. And so I've really become a Bitcoin maximalist over the last year. I called myself for the last three years, at least a shitcoin minimalist. I was only interested in things that had a really good, you know, value proposition that seemed like, yeah, this is something that could actually work. And one of the things that happened is even the stuff that I saw that had a, a decent value uh, proposition, a different use case that, that seemed like, yeah, that actually could work. We now have developed with Lightning and Liquid and layered solutions to where most of those use case scenarios have been dissolved. I also believe that a lot of the use case scenarios don't require crypto or a blockchain at all. Even some of the things I bought into not that long ago, like, you know, I liked what Algorand was doing. And I was seeing them do things with NFTs that actually were not for monkey pictures or some shit like fractional ownership in a vineyard with liquid vineyards and I but I thought about it over time and I thought you know what we don't need a you don't need a blockchain for that. In fact a blockchain is cumbersome and difficult even a a a, a POS a proof of stake blockchain compared to just doing something that makes a lot more sense and allowing transfer of ownership we don't need to do that so those use cases are either able to be done better with layered Bitcoin solution or not necessary. So that kind of killed that. But the bigger thing, the, the bigger thing for me in, in, in killing off even my shitcoin minimalism was I, I decided to sit back and say, OK, so this has been going on about a decade now. Who rolled out an altcoin? So I'm not always being derogatory and calling them shitty coins. Who rolled out an altcoin, said we're going to build a thing, and then built the thing, and the thing actually has a function in the real world that somebody that's not buying into it for cryptocurrency only would use. And I have an but There's probably more than one, but I only have one. I only have one that I can think of that people use on an ongoing daily basis that actually is a functional functioning product in the real world. And a lot of people using it don't know anything about cryptocurrency and do not care. And that's the brave browser. That's the only one brave raised something like $35 million introducing the bat token, which is on the, the freaking uh, ERC 20. And I don't know, Jason, Steemit's pretty weak sauce to me. I don't, I don't know that anybody really uses Steemit that's not into like making money with tokens and shit. I really don't. I don't think anybody's using it. That's, or the number using our little, I, there's, there's millions of people using Brave and a lot of them don't care one iota about BAT tokens or ERC20 or anything else. And it's all cumbersome and you got to go through a third party to get your money out of it. And it, it's, but it does work. And if I give you steam, it. If I give you steam, it. It's two. And there's been tens of thousands of these projects, right? Uh, tens of thousands of these projects. That said, we're going to build the thing. We're going to build a decentralized internet. I got into one. I thought it was a great idea. We're going to build a. Uh, a decentralized VPN a dvpn sounds right they don't ever end up building the thing to the point where the thing is introduced into the real world and people without religious zealotry for the idea actually use it they don't build the widget the gadget the technology etc and a technology that allows you to flip one cryptocurrency into another cryptocurrency does not qualify for this right? Execute smart contracts. To do what? To do futures trading on cryptocurrency? I'm sorry, that's not a thing in the real world. There's, you you just think about all of the promises. All of the promises of all these altcoins, you start to think about why we call them shitcoins, because the promise is never fulfilled. But have you ever asked yourself why? Have you ever asked yourself why? And I'll tell you why. Building things is hard. Building things takes effort. When you go to build a thing, 90 plus percent of the time you fail. But imagine if there was, imagine if there was a situation where I could try and fail and still get rich. And that's what ICOs were, and they very creatively, as the ICO, you know, bubble was closed, loophole was closed. They very creatively figured out ways around it. You get it listed on an exchange, and then you go pitch your shit. You reserve a bunch of your own shit coins, and when the price of your shit coin goes it goes to two cents, you start dumping, and you can always make more. You have founders reserves, whatever. And even if the person's well intentioned, and they're like you know what, this project's stalling out. All these, you know, cheap coders and coders I was, I was paying here and there and whatever, like, they don't really seem like they're working anymore and I'm losing value, like, but I got a bunch of money and then the, the determination is reached where, you know what, it would be easier to do now. It would be easier to use the recognition we have of being successful, even though we didn't build a thing, to say we have a new thing and roll, roll out another crypto and do it again. Oh, and I do have one more. I have another crypto project that actually delivered a thing that people use that don't really care about crypto. Odyssey. Odyssey. Basically a YouTube-like site, and it does get used by plenty of people who don't really understand anything about crypto. So it's all been things that could have been built without it, and I would say this. All of them could have been built now and work better using Bitcoin and Lightning than they work with proprietary shit coins. Nothing against people that built them. Nothing at all against people that built them. I understand why you did what you did. I made the case for you at the time, and with my understanding at the time, it made sense. But right now, here's a product I would build if I was going to build a product. I would build the new browser with integrated Lightning. Don't tell me you can get the all the extension or whatever. I understand all that. I get that. No, I would build the browser. I would probably build it on Chrome because there's so many things that already work well with it, which is what Brave did, which is what the center did, the center's Gavs browser. But I would have integrated lightning. I would probably pay people in the beginning in sats to download it and use it. And I would probably like you have to use it like a certain amount of hours for a month. And then you get your sat reward and it'd be something small. Ten thousand, twenty thousand, so that's four or five bucks, and I would do it like the first thousand get this much, and I would descend it to get people into it and using it. But I would integrate everything. I would, I would do it. Brave, promise to do, but failed to do. I would make it really easy to reward any website that you're on. And there's things that do this in pieces and parts, but I would integrate it into a bra You download it, it's all there, it's all there, so that people could run advertising through it, etc. People would be like, I know you can install ShapeShift or whatever. Like, no, I'm talking fully integrated from the day you download it forward. And I would do everything and anything I could do with it. And you'd run into one problem. And it's the problem that Brave has. When you go into the App Store, they start restricting things that you can do inside the Google Play Store or the Apple iStore, etc., And this is why I think Lightning would work better because it's just a feature. It's not a conversion tool. I wouldn't make it and I wouldn't get involved as I would do what the layer two apps are doing. We are not an exchange. You cannot buy Bitcoin through us with fiat and you can't convert your Bitcoin to fiat. We got nothing to do with that. All we do is let you transact transactions and it happens to be Lightning is one of the ways to do that. I would run a routing node, a, a, a series of routing nodes under that. And my primary monetization would be fees on the network. That's just an idea. You know what? 90% of the work's done. Chromium is open source. Anybody can build on it. It's 90% there. And I know the easy answer is, well, just make more plugins. You don't have control. I would want control if I was going to put my time and effort into this. And... Uh, I think there's some ways to do that that I'm not going to get into today that would begin to circumvent things like app stores eventually in time. All right. Next up. But that's why I think shit coins fail so miserably, because it's too easy to fail and make money. And this is just human nature. Like, it's hard. And what keeps a person that's put a company together and a project together working through the brick walls is... Well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to lose my house. That's what keeps you like. That's what made the survival podcast successful. It wasn't that I was going to lose my house, but it was like if I like every day that I went to my old world, and I owned the companies that I was involved with, at least part of them. I was a partner in in like four different companies through a holding corporation that I was also a partner in. I made a lot of money, but I hated it. I hate it. When I was out of that company, my old partner called me up six months after I was completely divorced from everything. I mean, I had no obligation and he just wanted to run some things past me and get my opinion, which I'm never going to tell a friend no to that. So we talked for about an hour. I had a beer, sat out on the deck and talked to him. And when I got done, I was, I was back in the mode that I was in when I used to work there. And when I hung the phone up, the first thing I said to myself was I have to quit. I didn't even work there. How the hell am I going to quit? That motivation to free myself from that misery could only come through the success of what I was doing. So that's why I got up at three o'clock in the morning. That's what it takes to build a going concern from the ground up. If you can succeed without going through that process, you won't unless you are really a true believer. You'll have to be able to turn down the one ring because the real one one ring is the power to print money. All right. You're going to have to turn that down. And that's very difficult to do. If you're going to build with Bitcoin and Lightning, it doesn't guarantee you success and you can't print it. That's kind of the whole point. Moving on. Um, I've heard a lot of people on Bitcoin Twitter, the Fudsters is what I like to call them. And they say that, you know, Bitcoin's not or I'm sorry, Lightning's not really decentralized. It was a scam. It was a scam. It was, it was done to take away peer to peer transactions. It's not decentralized. It's actually a tool of the banks. The, the, the company that developed, it's a company, you know, and then there's a company controls it. This is, this is all said either in ignorance or malice. And I think a lot of ignorance is being spouted by people who are following people who have malice. I think people. Like Roger Ver and Craig Wright, fake Toshi, right? Have figured out this actually works and it's a big threat to our story that we're still trying to grift and pump up things like Bitcoin Satoshi Vision and Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, which I call Bitcoin trash. And so we'll, we'll make up this stuff. Okay. Yes. The Lightning Network was primarily developed by a company, but it's free and open source. It's on GitHub. Anybody can look at the source code. Anybody can build on it, and anybody can participate in it. That's not a a banking system. You want to run a Bitcoin node, you can build one yourself. You can get one from Voltage Cloud. You can run a Start9 version. You can go on Amazon and get a pre-rolled, ready-to-go Lightning and Bitcoin node, and you can plug it in, and you can start running it today. No, it's not like running a standard node where you just plug it in and use it to send and receive. It does require some technical knowledge. You do need to to provide liquidity. You need to understand why you're doing it in the first place. Should you do it? A lot of people, you don't need one. It's never going to be necessary for you. But if you want to, you can. The fact that that alone is true makes it decentralized. What's going on with Lightning right now? How many nodes are there? Right? 17 Thousand active nodes. Because the other thing, well, nobody uses it. There's 17,000 active Lightning nodes. Collectively, they have 81,000 channels. It's not transactions. It's open channels between nodes to be able to do business. 87,000 channels. $92 million as of two weeks ago when I got these facts and figures in capacity. That means there's $92 million in liquidity on the network. People are like, oh, that's not that much. You don't understand what you're talking about if you're going to say that. If I send a transaction across the Lightning Network and it gets the other side, and you take it and go do something with it. If that was a $1,000 transaction, it's not like it goes down by a $1,000. The liquidity balance to the other side, but it's still there. It gets pushed back. That's $92 million in liquidity, and that liquidity can be moved around and recycled at will. And that 92 million means we can move billions of dollars with it. And people are using it. I have a Twitter thread on lightning and I want to, I just want to, you can read the whole thing. I have a link in the notes that'll be available. Uh, you can find them down in the video notes, uh, below this video if you're watching the video version of it. Um, but I wanted to show you what the, the last, Thing in the thread is, and I'm looking it up for you right now. And since it's Twitter, I had to do it all in little small bites. But I, I think this should, in a lot of ways, end the discussion. And the way I ended it, and this is the last thing in it, said, so Anyway, I'm happy to do a debate with any of these snipers claiming Lightning Network does not work, is hard to use, isn't decentralized, is controlled by the banks, etc. Any such BS claims live, formal streaming debate with a third party moderator and agreed upon terms. Now, I had a lot of comments and and, and things, you know, going through each section like up here and and here. You see people commented. You, You see how many comments there are on that last piece? Zero. No one said a blip. On that challenge, especially all the people that are saying it doesn't work. Nobody uses. It's actually central banking or whatever. Nobody says that. Nobody, nobody wants to step up and debate me. Right. Nobody wants. I'm a redneck hippie duck farmer. I'm not a tech guru or anything like that. I just understand. the And I use the dad gone thing myself. And I can do research and I can verify or dispel claims. And nobody wants to debate me. Roger Vera, bring it, bro. You're Bitcoin Jesus. You should be able to walk on Bitcoin water. Let's go. You gonna say it doesn't work? You want? You want? Nobody wants to have this discussion. Nobody will have this discussion because either they know they don't know enough to have it as a debate, or if they know enough to have it, they know it's a losing proposition to make these claims. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the. The, 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 the infamous argument now, but it uses them a third party. It uses a third party. So this is the interesting thing that I find. Almost all of the people that claim it uses a third party as an objection are Bitcoin Cash Maxis. Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. Okay. See, if you're going to create something new, don't try to steal brand from the thing you you, you, you create. It's not the real Bitcoin. The real Bitcoin was built by Satoshi Nakamoto, who walked away from it and left us the consensus mechanism. And the consensus mechanism says what the real Bitcoin is. He also said the first version of it would live forever and is set in stone. That's why we have layered solutions. So we don't screw up the perfect thing that we built in the center at the base layer. But yeah, real Bitcoin. And they say it uses a third party. So you ask these people that make this claim, because you can look up how many Bitcoin cash nodes are out there. It's not a lot. And you say, so what do you mean use a third party? Well, it uses a third party. They have no idea what they're saying. They're just repeating what they've been told. Okay. So do you run your own Bitcoin cash node? And then you get a blank stare if you're actually talking to them in the real world. They have no idea what you just said. So are you, do you run your, do you run a full Bitcoin Cash node that your wallet is attached to? No? No? Then you use a third party. Well, I use a Trezor. That's great. You're using Trezor's node. You're using a third party. By the way, who verifies all the transactions that you receive? Oh, that would be miners. Miners are a third party. Miners are a third party. They're a trustless third party. They're a trustless third party, and they're trustless because of the way the whole system works. When you're using somebody else's node, if it's if it's Trezor, if it's Exodus, it's still really a trustless third party because if they shut their node down or whatever, as long as you have your seed phrase, you can get your Bitcoin back. You can you can use a different node, you can run your own node, you can use it to a different wallet, you can sweep it in, so it still remains trustless. Lightning node runners don't know anything about you. If you route a transaction, it happens to go across one of my nodes. I don't know. I know the transaction happened. I know how much it was, and I know the little tiny fee I got for routing it. I don't know anything about you. Yes, it uses a third party. Your internet connection uses a third party. Your telephone uses a third party. The the ability to transact peer-to-peer, my node to your node, exists. It is up to us if we think it's necessary for what we're doing. As long as you don't take away that ability, that argument is dumb. It is stupid on its face. It is dumber than stupid, whatever comes after that. Idiotic, moronic, I don't know. You guys pick the adjective. But it it is an argument of somebody that knows they've already lost the debate, and they're trying to throw out some sort of freaking silver bullet that uses a third party. But ask them to explain how and ask them if they run their own node. The person that had this discussion with me in depth was Sal Mayweather. At least he had the courage to do it. And when I asked him, asinine, that might be it, do you run your own node? What wallet do you use? Like, he, he didn't have an answer. and He's not going to have one because he doesn't run his own node, so he's using a third party. And he avoids that, and then he won't want to talk about it. No, we ran away, and we don't, I mean, we're still friends, but we don't have any more of this discussion. Because you can't argue this point, because it's dumb. I'll let it go. I'm eating a dead horse. Um, the next thing is, you hear about lightning, well, it can't scale. It can't scale. Isn't this an interesting thing, though? Every day, we're running literally millions of transactions now. In just the podcasting value-for-value value network, and somehow it all works. Wallets like Breeze and Fountain, which is, Fountain's more than just a wallet. It's an app and, and what have you. Like all of this is happening. So not a huge amount of money, by the way. And the fees are very low. And that's interesting because you guys spent the last five years telling us about all the coffees and scones apparently you need to pay for with, with cryptocurrency. That was your silver bullet. And now we're doing transactions for fractions of pennies in the rates of millions of transactions a day. I know it's millions because I'm not that important and I'm doing tens of thousands of transactions a day for people streaming sats to me and giving me boosts and stuff like that. Cause you listen to a two hour podcast and you're streaming and you're streaming sats per minute. That one user is doing 120 transactions of one sat, five sats, eight sats. Some of you guys are real generous, 15 sats a minute. Thank you. So that all works. Strike works. Strike's completely driven by Lightning. Cash App. Now, I don't know how many people using Cash App are aware that they can use a Lightning network, but there's a 100 million people that have Cash App. That's a 100 million wallets with access to the Lightning network. You can get $10 in Cash App, and just like I do with Strike, you can say, oh, you take Bitcoin, and you want to pay in Lightning, and the person wants to sell you a coffee for $5? Boop. You just sent Bitcoin over Lightning. It works. It's like the capacity that's there. Those nodes, the channels, and the liquidity is sufficient for the current demand. You know what you call that? You call that a market effect. When the market is there, the ability to fulfill the need of the market comes because you're rewarded for filling the need of the market. How many people are there out there that if they could earn a return on their Bitcoin in a way where they stay self-sovereign, so no one can take it for them, but they could pump money into a liquidity pool and earn a return of investment by providing that liquidity would want to do it. Yeah, all of them. All of them that are informed and understand this. There's all the liquidity necessary to do this. And all, every time that liquidity gets pumped in, all it does, it's like another micro strategy buying 4,000 bitcoins. That money is now tied up in the network. It's earning a return. So I don't want to, I don't want to take it out and I'll pay tax on the 4% I make or whatever it is, you know, and it might be three or 4% a month that you can make. How? Because your money's being, it's not like you're getting that little tiny charge. It's you, it's being recycled as that money moves back and forth. You're taking that little half percent instead of visas 3%. It's, it's being used over and over and over again. There's real return of investment, there's there's real ROI coming as that network gets built. So as more people use it, right, as more people use it, then the demand will be met by the need and by the the, the potential to earn a profit. That's the free market. That's how it works. All this shit, you know, the banks are going to use it, whatever. Good. It's money. I would expect that everybody uses it. That's called hyper-Bitcoinization. So I'm not not even worried about scaling. I'm not saying it'll be completely bump-free. I'm just saying that the more demand there is, the more development will happen, the more nodes will be rolled out, the more channels will be open, the more liquidity will be pumped in. Because right now when people say there's not enough liquidity, there's not enough liquidity for what? What transactions are failing due to lack of liquidity? Now, people, there are transactions that fail. That's somebody like, my first transaction on Lightning failed. Because I didn't know what I was doing. So I opened a channel. I didn't have the liquidity on the right side of the channel. I tried to send a little bit of money. It was like 20 bucks, and it failed. That would go down as a failure of transaction. But that was me learning and playing with it and sending my own money around in a circle. That's not an actual Like, once I understood how it worked and I balanced the channel, oh look, it works. And I use it every day. I use my own node every day. Here and there, people are. I'm not even trying to be a, a routing node. But occasionally, some transactions are routed across my node, and I get a little bit of stats for it. Interesting. So there are no transactions failing due to lack of total liquidity in the network or lack of number of channels on any significant meaning. And if it fails, you don't lose it. It's not gone. You just do another transaction. Occasionally, when I'm moving money out of Fountain to my own node through my Zeus wallet, I'll have a failure. Sometimes I have a failure and by the time I try to do it again, it actually went through. It was, it's an error message, but it's not an actual failure in the transaction. The money's not gone. It's still there. Right. So I'm not worried about scaling. I'm not worried about scaling at all. Markets drive demand. Right. That's, it's, it's that simple. Now I had somebody email me and say, cause I said for the show, I'll take some questions and I don't shitcoin questions like what's your opinion of shitcoin XYZ because I don't know if this is a Bitcoin question or not but I've got some Algo, some Ethereum and something else and I, I'm thinking about moving it into Bitcoin but I don't know if now is the time um, as much as I thought Algorand was one of the few exceptions to the rule when I was a shitcoin minimalist I think like it's day in the sun is over I could be wrong but I don't own any Algorand anymore and I don't own any Cardano or anything like that. I've, I've liquidated all of it. I did it before it completely bottomed out. I waited for some Bitcoin correction, and I, I I was able to get more Bitcoin than otherwise. So, in the end, you have to make this decision for yourself. But the Ethereum question, to me, is a little bit different. It's a little bit different. I think moving the proof of stake is dumb for Ethereum. I understand why they're doing it, but I think it's dumb. I think it's a long-term bad plan. But I think for all of the dogpiling by Bitcoin Maxis on the merge and the problems that they're having, and it's literally like a 1980s freaking WrestleMania thing where like a 20-man battle, but they all turned on one guy and they're off the top rope hitting him in the head and stuff. The merge will – got to be careful with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying it's good. It will work. In other words, they'll do something and they'll say it worked, and the people that believe in the faith will go, okay, good. And all this staked Ether will be locked up for a long time after it works, and then people won't be able to get their Ethereum that they pre-staked out. That is bad for those people. It's good for people holding Ether, and I think it's why it's being done, not the bullshit technical reasons being given for it. I said way back when this started, if you if you stake your Ether – um and and you earn a bunch on it. And at the end of this cycle, it's worth a lot of money. There's a real potential for once all that ether is unlocked for it to get dumped into the market. And this will prevent that. That's kind of good. If you have like a big giant founders reserve and you're like, you know, like in the Ethereum foundation, you have lots of Ethereum. You don't really want those people dumping. It. You want to be able to capitalize. You've been working a long time for this to pay off for you. So I think that Ethereum could experience a huge upside from here. Now, I wouldn't buy it, but this is a situation. And all I can tell you is what I'm doing personally. I have a pretty good stack of Ethereum. It didn't cost me much money at all. But when I bought it, it was when it showed up on Coinbase. I didn't even know what it was. I had done really good with Bitcoin, and it was this thing. And it was like the only other thing you could buy on Coinbase at the time. It was like you could buy Bitcoin I think you could buy Litecoin and this Ethereum thing. And that maybe it wasn't even Litecoin was on there. I think it was the only thing that they had other than Bitcoin. And it was 97 cents. Like, I'll buy a little bit of that. Okay, so it's Ethereum. It has zero privacy. If I transact it, I guarantee you the .gov has it linked to me because Ethereum doesn't have addresses. It has one account where all your Ethereum is. That's stupid too, but it's the way it works. When I transact that and I convert it to dollars or Bitcoin, I am going to pay a shitload of money in capital gains tax. I only want to do it once. And I I believe, not that it will happen, but $10,000 ETH is possible. And that would be kind of where I'd make my move. Again, if I had cash right now, would I buy it? No, but I have, For for all intents and purposes, I have no cash in this. I have no money in this because even the Bitcoin I bought it with was like referral rewards from Coinbase all those years ago. It's easy gamble for me to make. Right. So that's what all I can tell you is what I'm doing. Like people are always out there. You should do this and that and a 40 day leading average and all kinds of bullshit. They just puke out at you because they want to get hits or whatever. I'm honest. I just tell you what I'm doing. I, I, I just tell you what I'm doing. And that's, That's like the most honest thing I think a person could do. And I always want to be at least a guy that he's a dick and he's wrong, but he's honest. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that all day long. Uh, because eventually if you're actually right, you earn respect. And those of you who follow me for a while know I've been a lot more times I've been right. I've been wrong, but I've been right a lot more times. I got a much better, uh, uh, hit percentage, I think, than, than a lot of people that market themselves as professional traders or whatever. Uh, they just kind of forget when they were wrong and they just tell you the new thing and they keep da- basil, you know, baffling you with bullshit and dazzling you with 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 freaking dynamic speak. And then they just keep going on and oh, this guy's really smart, and they just keep cycling marks through. I'm not looking for that. Um, I also want to talk about why products like Wallet of Satoshi are fine for day-to-day lightning use, so and they're actually pretty private. So when I got Wallet of Satoshi. I went to the App Store and I downloaded it. They asked me for no information whatsoever. Now, if I want to buy Bitcoin in it or whatever, I have to do KYC, but I, I didn't do that. They assigned me a Lightning, an LN email address, beefypersian37 at Satoshi.com. If you want to send some Bitcoin there to see if it works, please do. I like Bitcoin in Lightning form. Um, they know nothing about me. They don't know who I am. I actually have a node I have opened with Wallet of Satoshi, and you can know more about me from my node than from me using the Wallet of Satoshi app. Again, when you route a transaction, if it happens to go across one of my nodes, I don't know anything about you. It uses Onion routing, which is what Tor does, and that means that the Onion basically has layers of encryption And each time it's handed off, the layers are rebuilt. So you don't know how, you don't even know how many times or how many places it went through. I don't know anything about you. It gets over to your wallet of Satoshi or blue wallet or whatever, any of your custodial solution. I still don't know anything about you and neither do they unless you told them. And then you send it from that wallet to an on-chain Bitcoin address when you've collected enough and you think it's time to get it out of this lightning format and you have some. Bitcoin wallet you've set up and generated a new address, it's 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 about as private as Bitcoin can be right now. Now, if you're a node operator, there's a lot more that can be determined about you. But all these little tiny transactions going everywhere, they don't have a damn clue. And they don't have time to have a clue. And that's why they're kind of surrendering with this idea of de minimis purchases. Because it just makes it easier, right? It just makes it easier. If, if you just say, hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna worry about things below this number. That's basically saying we'd like to, but we, we, we can't figure it out and we don't want to admit that, right? We don't, we don't, we don't want to admit that. So we'll just, we'll just say it was our idea. You ever notice that the government in general, government in general will say, you know, we're going to change, like when nobody listens to them anymore, then they change their idea. Like, when everybody just, like, de they're like, oh, we're like, you're doing forced mass man. They just, I don't know, they look kind of stupid. So they just like, oh, we've determined the science has changed, right? That's a common pattern in government. So, yeah, Wall of Satoshi. And then the other thing is, what are you using this for? What are you using this for? If you're using something like Wall of Satoshi, you're probably using it for all those scones and coffees the Bitcoin Cash people. Those guys buy a lot of scones and coffee, man. Right. They buy a lot of scones and coffee or you're, you're you're cruising down to El Salvador and buying some tacos where people actually use lightning network. Bitcoin. Sure. So you're talking the, the, it's money that you would carry as cash in your wallet. That's what lightning is. It's cash. You treat it like cash. And so you're not really well, what are they going to do? Like there is there is the potential that wallet of Satoshi could potentially maybe steal your money couple hundred bucks, and then they destroyed something that works really well and has a lot of – it's been a, a, around for a couple of years. It's done millions in transactions, huge presence on the network. You're going to give all that up to steal a couple hundred bucks from a few people? I, I just don't think it makes – it's not that I don't – it's not that I trust people. It's that I trust people to do what's the best for themselves, and that would be the best for themselves. And people know who these people are. And if you did that to like all the people, that, like you might end up with a big red X on your head and be marked for life instead of being a very successful business, right? So again, I, I don't put any money into a custodial lightning wallet any more than I would carry cash in my pocket. And honestly, even on my own node, where are at full custody. I still keep the majority of my Bitcoin in on-chain Bitcoin. It's only for this type of, you know, high-speed. Final settlement transaction. Uh, next, I want to talk about something else that this is getting no. It's getting no publicity. It's actually a huge deal. I saw somebody mention it on Twitter. If you if you go to my Twitter and you you look through some of my retweets and stuff, you could probably find the original source of it. Um, but they said that it's. How are we sitting at a time when The cost of energy is higher than it's ever been. And the hash rate of Bitcoin is up. That was the full tweet that they made. And I said, you know, that's an interesting observation. The thing is, you're missing a big part of it. The part you're missing is we're in a bear market. It'd be one thing if we were in a bull market and that was the case. But their point was to energy, and they said the only way you are at a time and place where the, the the hash rate of Bitcoin, which is all the how much mining power, how much hash power is being done by miners to mine and secure the Bitcoin network. And the more that number goes up, the better it is for the security, stability, and reliability of the Bitcoin blockchain. Right? It's a good hash rate go up is good. And what they they made a very succinct point. The only way that can happen is that Bitcoin miners are buying stranded and lost cheap energy that would otherwise be generated and lost. If they were buying the energy that most people are, then you couldn't afford to do this right now. They're buying the cheapest, most sustainable, stranded energy they can get, and that's how the hash rate's going up. But again, in a bear market, so right here, for those that are on the video, right here about October, 2021, this is the all time high. That's Bitcoin sitting up in the $60,000 range. Way over here, as of this, and this is, this is a current chart. Right now, Bitcoin's around 20,000 bucks. Last time I checked, it made it went down in the teens or up from there, but right around 20,000 bucks, we're way, way, way up. We have almost doubled the hash power, not quite, that would be about 300E, so we're at like a 70% gain in hash power with a, what, one-third of the price. Your energy arguments are moot. Your any energy arguments are dead. There is no way that you would have anything like that going on right now if Bitcoin was actually a burden to the electrical grid. It's done. I don't even want to have the discussion anymore, and it's one of the most fascinating metrics in Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes down from 60000 to $20,000. Energy prices go through the roof, and the energy expenditure on the Bitcoin network goes up by 75%. That's security. That's stability. That's miners also understanding, boy. It's a good time to be putting down that 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 basis. This is a good time to double down and mine more. And there, we t- we did a, a, a podcast on flare gas harnessing. That's happening left and right. That's gas that would just be burned off in the atmosphere. It's being turned into monetization. All these solar, wind, etc. All these huge alternative energy farms—they have to produce way more energy than they can sell. So you put your mining right next to it. They can peek out all the time, and when they need that enter- that capacity to go onto the grid during peak demand, your miners will shut down and allow you to bypass them and sell that energy when the demand's there. And when it's not, they'll they'll harness it and they'll monetize it for you. That is that is unbelievable. Uh, I'm being asked what the, the website is. I'm looking at right there. It's uh, bit uh, bitinfocharts.com, and there's a link. In the audio notes, it'll go up as soon as this is done. The the live feed is done. You can always find all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, if you, if you just follow the link in the video note below, if you're watching a live feed or if you're on an, if you're on Fountain or iTunes or Spotify or whatever thing, go to the survival podcast or the Bitcoin breakout, either way, and look up the episode that you're listening to and all the stuff that I use. I always source. That's another thing I do. Like if I make a claim and I say, even if I don't show it to you or read it to you, and I said, like, I read an article. That freaking link, unless I just made a mistake that day, is in my show notes. My show notes are long. Um, let me pull that back up real quick for those of you that have never been to the site before and show you what I mean by that. This is the show notes for the episode we're doing right now. So there's my bullet points. I present everything off those bullet points. But, like, there's my Twitter thread. There's the hash rate chart. There's an article we're about to talk about next. Let's go ahead and open that one while we're there, and I'll switch back over to this tab for a minute. There's all my resources. There's my sponsors, video version of the show, uh, all the from everything is sourced. And, like, today, it's not really like a current event show or anything. When I start dropping things about statistics and employment rates and stuff like that in some of the more general shows, everything is sourced. When I make claims about my science, Everything is sourced. YouTube will still take it down for misinformation, but it's sourced. It's sourced left, right and center all the time. And if you don't do that, you probably don't deserve any credibility when you're making claims. So the next thing I want to hit real quick here as we wrap up today is I've heard a ton of FUD around microstrategy. like nobody takes hate. From the Bitcoin trash people, the Roger Ver disciples, the Craig Wright's, uh, uh, you know, fake Toshi's disciples. No one takes hate more than Michael Saylor from those people. They hate Michael Saylor because of what Michael Saylor represents. And I don't think he's a second coming or anything like that. But this is what I believe about Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor believes every single thing that he tells you about Bitcoin. He's not doing it to hype stuff. He he walks his talk, right or wrong. He he strikes me as a guy that's very much like me, though far more successful. I am not a billionaire, and I certainly wasn't a billionaire in my 30s. Um, incredibly successful guy, but a straight shooter. And the flood has been micro is going to go broke. Micro is going to get margin call. Now, sailors put out the numbers over and over again. And basically, MicroStrategy is in a position where they could do nothing all the way down to about $3,500. Because people like Michael Saylor do math before they make billion-dollar decisions. I know that's striking to some people. But nobody cares. Everybody's screaming. So MicroStrategy right now has decided this looks like a good time to buy more Bitcoin. So they're doing exactly what Michael Saylor has said central banks should be doing. You have an asset. You have fiat. You can use it to buy Bitcoin at no real cost. So, MicroStrategy is selling some more of its own internally held shares, and they're buying Bitcoin. By my count, and you can read this article for yourself later if you want to. But by my count, this would be quadrupling down, and all the dips that have happened on Bitcoin since since Michael made his first decisions to go all in and buy Bitcoin, um, this is the fourth time that everybody said, ah. And they've just said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to buy more money. We're going to buy more. It's it's the same thing that El Salvador's done. There's all these claims I hear it in the mainstream news. These people have no idea what they're talking about. They, you know, this is the thing. Journalists, and I'm not talking about journalists reading shit from the AP. I'm talking about random DJs and, and stuff like that on the radio when I happen to drive my car and turn on talk radio, talking smack about. And you listen to me. Pe- these people don't know anything. About what they're like, El Salvador is having to sell its Bitcoin as people are like they haven't sold a single one, you moron. Right? Well if you don't have a lot of money and your Bitcoin goes down, you have to sell it. Why? Why? Did you was your plan to sell it if it went up? Because it you haven't realized a loss unless you take it. These people just need like in general journalists, podcasters, etc. If you don't know about a thing, shut up about it or get somebody that does to come on and talk about it. And not someone that tells you what you want to hear, morons, somebody that actually is well versed in it. So, micro like quadrupled down. And the here's how the MSM is uh is is presenting this. I think it was C, C CNBC, somebody like that. Just google it and you'll find it because I didn't track that link, but it is uh, MicroStrategy buys more Bitcoin at the expense of its shareholders. So MicroStrategy is a public company announces, hey, we're releasing more shares of common stock. If you would like to buy it, you can. By the way, we're going to tell you before we do it what we're going to do with the proceeds. And what we're going to do with the proceeds is go deeper and harder with Bitcoin." So the investor that buys the shares is like, oh, okay, I like that, and buys at the expense of their shareholders. In other words, they have spent the last year talking shit about how it's they're going to go broke, and, well, and now this is the only spin they have. And this is why I did this episode today. If you notice a common theme going all the way through, except for how to use a fold card, this is all shit people are saying that are mental midgets. They have no idea what they're talking about none they they don't they don't know anything they don't know anything they're not going to know anything they're not, they don't have a desire to know anything all they want to do is is throw rocks at people and i'm just a big believer in the truth i'm a, at least the truth as i understand it and and admitting when i don't really know an answer on that I'm gonna start taking some questions. I've got like seven talking points uh, that were in all caps. Those of you that are still on the live feed right now, if you think of something or want to do something, uh, you want me to comment on something all caps from here forward. I'll come back and hit it one more time, as long as not too many come in and bury it. So Hunter says, "How do you orange pill someone? Resource page or something yet?" Yeah. Um, I'm kind of, I've kind of given up on orange pilling people. People come to Bitcoin when they're ready. I'll expose them to the idea and walk away. The whole idea of honors pilling is like, it's like me and one of those people that goes around and knocks on people's doors and says, I want to tell you about Jesus. It doesn't work. And somebody out there who proselytes is going to tell me about the person they went to and they got saved and it did work. Well, no, you you happen to hit them at the moment they were ready. And, and so if you hadn't done it, something else or someone else probably would've. I'm not saying you're wrong for doing it. I'm just saying that's, that's, that's how this stuff works. That's how this stuff works. So this is all done by planting that seed. So if I know someone owns a business, I'll say, do you take Bitcoin? Well, no, well, you should. If you want my help, let me know. I'll help you set it up. I have my nephew and my niece-in-law, I guess you call your nephew's wife, your niece-in-law, um, they run a very successful online business. I've told them to do it, they don't do it. Last time we talked about it, I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll come over, I'll I'll physically do all the work to onboard you. I'll get everything set up so you can start taking Bitcoin. And I get half the Bitcoin you take in the first 30 days. Now, did I do that because I really want the Bitcoin? No, I thought that maybe. If I was willing to say it that way, that they'd start to say, "Wait a minute, he thinks he's going to he's he's going to do well with this." And I didn't care if they took me up on the offer. Said, "Shit, we better get off and do it." They still haven't, as far as I know. And that's family. I've onboarded a hell of a lot more people with the Survival Podcast that don't know me anything other than as an online personality, and I have in the real world. And that would probably be the case for just about anybody. But I think one of the really easy ways to get people to at least think about it is with Lightning being so inexpensive, to get somebody to do something like download Wallet of Satoshi or Blue Wallet, throw five bucks in your Cash App or your Strike account. Cash App's better because they probably have Cash App. And send them two, three, four, five bucks in Lightning. And show them how it works and say, look how this works. You can literally get your Cash App and you want to buy more and hold it there. You can just do this. If you ever get more than a couple hundred bucks in there, Get back with me because that's not the most secure way to hold it. Things like that. I think we do a lot better if we uh, – I think we do a lot better planting seeds to get any idea to, to, to find fertility than we do trying to – like when you say orange pill me, it's like I want to take this person from zero to all the way on board with Bitcoin in an hour. And I want you to think back to what it took over time. When you really decide, I want to know more about Bitcoin, you're looking at somewhere between 20 and 100 hours, I think, of study. Because it's not just, hey, here's a way to use money that it's not outside of the federal government. It's history. It's game theory. It's thermodynamics. It's The first thing you have to do to understand Bitcoin is to understand the satanic system that you're in. And I'm not a religious person. It's still a satanic system to me. It's the most evil thing you can invoke, right? That's why I say it's a satanic system. I don't think the Federal Reserve's all in hoods, chanting and burning babies or anything. I know some of y'all do. That's y'all. You believe that. I believe something else. But it's still a satanic system to me. It's evil. It is profiting off others through basically legalized and state-endorsed counterfeiting. There is no more inherently evil system on our planet than the fiat system. And it, no one understands it. You want to really understand Bitcoin, you kind of have to understand that satanic system, how that system works. That's why Safe Dean, when he he wrote the Bitcoin standard, but he came back and he wrote the fiat standard. And when people asked me for books to read, I said, I would read the fiat standard first and the Bitcoin standard second. Because if you do that, then you get a real broad understanding. So aren't really somebody's trying to shortcut all that? And I think you're, in a way, you're denying a person an opportunity to learn if you're just going to push. And then they're not really committed. They're the person that buys it when it's at an all-time high, shrieks and yells like a moron when it's at an all-time low, dumps it, runs away and hides, and then two years later is like, what? What happened to the price? Yeah, I remember some of y'all shrieking and yelling when it dropped from $1,100 down to $600 at me. I remember that. Like the thing about crypto winter, diamond hands are cold, baby. Diamond hands are cold hands. We love crypto winter. We want as much crypto winter as we can get. We love bear markets. That's what we built. We enjoy the cold. Well, people that don't understand think the cold is a bad thing. They don't understand the seasons. Imagine a world with no winter. Pretty boring. Uh, Chase says, what's your thoughts on people saying Bitcoin mining is bad for the environment and Ethereum moving to proof of stake? I think I covered that today, dude. I think you're full of shit. They don't understand a damn thing and a hash rate alone uh, and, and the fact that we're now spending more energy during a bear market with the most expensive energy that's ever existed just pretty much shit cans that whole thing. Proof of stake is the banks. If you want a proof of stake system, it's central banking. Proof of stake means the people with the most money have the most say. Proof of work means you can't get something for nothing no matter who you are. And in the end, in the with the consensus mechanism in Bitcoin, Satoshi said one CPU, one vote. He was really talking about mining at the time. But the way things really work is it's one node is one vote. So if the central banks want to participate in Bitcoin, they're welcome to set up a node. They're welcome to set up a node. And and, and good luck with it. And, And please do. Um, But, yeah, Bitcoin being bad for the environment is a losing argument that can only be had from a place of total ignorance to how things actually work. And when you show these people how it actually works, they react with anger and screeching. And when somebody reacts with anger and screeching, you know they know they've lost and they start chanting, channeling Greta Thornberger or something like that, and it's still fossil fuels. You mean like that runs your car, that runs your house? You go home and you flip a light switch? How is it okay that AWS uses mega, mega, mega megawatts of electricity to run web servers that can never shut down, that are not located next to power generation facilities and don't help stabilize the grid, but it's bad for a Bitcoin mining center to plant itself right in the middle of a field of windmills, or at an oil extraction site running off flare gas and be able to stabilize the grid by shutting down whenever it's necessary to meet peak demand. How does that work? Ah, They just, they lose their minds full blown screeching because it's so obvious once you look at it. Uh, Carl says you don't have to do first in first out with BTC tax reporting. You can manage your UTXOs individually and optimize for gains and losses but you must choose one reporting method for the whole tax year. Well, this is true, but what makes it really simple is simply what I was referring to as silo- siloing. He's not wrong. Um, it depends. And that is something get your, get your tax uh, CPA involved in. And if you're doing a lot of moving around of Bitcoin trades and spending, you need a CPA that specializes in that. And I would say if you're a business professional, it might be the case that you need two CPAs. You need one that kind of like develops a report and tells your primary CPA this is what to do with the crypto. Because a lot of times the people that are really great at tax uh, stuff with crypto have specialized in it now. And they may not be really great at figuring out how much money I can legally deduct for this room. That is my home office that I do 100% of my work in and how to back channel, feed it through the cost, ex- the cost expenses. Now that we've lost the ability to deduct the mortgage interest, like my CPA does for me, Mary Johnson. She's amazing. Woman is worth her weight and freaking gold press latinum. Doesn't know much about crypto, but I don't have a lot of taxable crypto events. So because of that, I give her that information and she does her best with it. But if I was doing a really high volume with crypto, I would be doing things a little bit differently. Uh, Renegade Butcher says Nakamoto walked away, which is why it works. It's not a token, a coin or an investment scam. It, it just is the way sh- that's why shit coins f- fail the human element. Exactly. Now why did Nakamoto walk away? Did he just know it was the right thing to do or was he afraid that they were going to figure out who he was and throw a black hood over him and drag him away in a van? I don't know why, but the fact that he did is pretty amazing to me. What I, th- I find most amazing is that not, there are certain, for people that don't know this, there are certain addresses, Bitcoin addresses, that we know Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, she, they were, mined to. This is it's it's billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin now. Not one sat has ever moved off one of those addresses. Fake Toshi, Dr. Craig Wright, has claimed that he is Satoshi. And I've said it will take 10 minutes to prove that all Craig Wright has to do for me to say I was wrong. Craig Wright is Satoshi. Move. $10 worth of Bitcoin off one of those addresses. Say at 4 o'clock tomorrow, I'm going to go to that UTXO and I'm going to sign a a transaction. I'm going to send one lucky person 10 bucks. Do that and I'll buy it. I don't buy it because you haven't done it and it would be that easy. He's one court cases. I don't give a shit. Courts get things wrong all the freaking time. Go to prison and find out how many people are in there that shouldn't be. Or are in there for longer than they should be? Or how many people got out that belong in there? Before you start telling me you're right because the court says so, that's a bunch of shit. That's how simple, and you know what, every single person that ever doubted him would say, shit, it is him. It is, so if it was me, and I wanted to make the case that it was me, I would do it, and I would end the debate. But I do believe whoever he, she, they were, Nakamoto did walk away, and it, it's created a situation where the government really has a hard time doing much with Bitcoin. They can do all kinds of shit with all the other cryptos. Bitcoin is 100% peer to peer. So if you, if you wanted to shut down Ethereum or you wanted to regulate Ethereum or you wanted to audit Ethereum and you were a bureaucrat and you went to a judge and you said, I want a warrant. And they said, well, what do you want the warrant for? He said, I want it for these things. Well, who do you want to serve? Do you be able to give names, ad- addresses, physical addresses in the real world? You'd have a building or buildings you could go to, right? And you could go to those people and say cease and desist or give us this information. There's no building with a big orange B on it. Who made some graphics like that for fun and all? There isn't a Bitcoin headquarters. There's no Bitcoin CEO. There's no founders that gave themselves a reward. It had really what you could only describe as an immaculate conception. Anybody who wanted to could have participated. It was all done in a way that it was publicly accessible. It wasn't in the New York Times or anything, but nothing prevented that other than the New York Times didn't think it was newsworthy. There are all all kinds of people who made lots of money by mining early, and a lot of us that should have and didn't. It is what it is. Everybody gets in at Bitcoin at the price they deserve, and it is because you walked away. It's exactly because... He walked away. And that is the best thing Satoshi ever did was walk away. The second best thing he ever did was make Bitcoin. Uh, Joe Tippett says, I reserve the right to be wrong. Jackism 2013. Uh, I'm glad you've been around that long, Joe, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's not a 2013 Jackism. It's a 2008 Jackism. I promise you, if you go back to the, the genesis of the Survival Podcast, within the first 60 episodes or less... And I do a daily show, guys, so 60 episodes is two months. I said I reserve the right to be wrong. Probably put it in text within the first week on my disclaimers and, and policies uh, thing on the site. I absolutely reserve the right to be wrong. Nobody can can be right about everything. And, uh, and, and so I think anybody that doesn't say something like that shouldn't be trusted. You can't trust a person that won't admit that they can be wrong and won't admit that they are wrong. They'll always you can always find a way to talk around being wrong. You can always find a way to, to just be wrong and forget you ever said it and never say, hey, I was wrong here. It, it, it's, a, it's a different thing when you, you you're willing to say. It. And when I first did it, I wasn't trying to be, you know, perfect or anything. What actually happened is I started doing my show the survival podcast on preparedness and things like that and I started giving people advice like you know how to store gas and stuff like that. And this is very early on. This is, you know, first few weeks, few months. And I would get emails, "Jack, because you said this, I did this and sent me pictures of like gas stored in their garage with my my numeric method and stuff like that." And I instead of thinking, "Wow, this is great. I'm going to be successful." I thought, "Holy shit. You say a thing, People you never met before listen to it and do it. You need to be very careful with what you say, because somebody could take something you say that you just floating an idea and think you've preached it as gospel, and go out and do it and get hurt or lose money or cause a problem for themselves or make the wrong choice. So I've always tried to be real clear on opinion versus fact, and ideas versus I did this and it worked. I have theories. And I have theories that have been put into practice and tested and retested and, and 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 turned into solid functional things. And I still say with those, when we're talking about things like permaculture and gardening, your mileage may vary. You're in a different climate. You have different soils. How many hours are you going to put into it? Do you, did, did I really explain what I think I explained to where you actually understand what I said? Or you just think you like you got to be careful. You have to reserve the right to be wrong on that. Lily Farm Food says, can you explain how coin join works? At a very rudimentary level, and we're in that world I'm just talking about, I am not an expert in CoinJoin. CoinJoin basically allows multiple people that are using Bitcoin to join in a single transaction and receive their Bitcoin back in multiple transactions to obfuscate who really has the Bitcoin. The problem with it is, you can, with chain analysis, you can kind of look at a certain amount goes in, a certain amount comes out, and where it went, and you kind of figure out where it all went. I don't think it really works as good as people think that it does. It also, from the experts I've listened to talk about it, specifically on Peter McCormack's show, What Bitcoin Did, which so I really need to get back to listening to. It. I haven't listened to it in a long time. Um, it sticks out. Like it uses a spe- specific number in each transaction. So like it's like, there's a coin joint. There's a coin join, There's a coin join. I think we're going to get into situations where Bitcoin privacy will be more protected by software and applications than things like CoinJoin. Um, and I also think that maybe sometimes you don't need or want to do this. And here's what I mean by that. If if you're trying to do this, I assume that you believe that if the government looked, they would be able to say this quarter Bitcoin belongs to Lily Farm Food, right? Okay, And they would probably be able to say, we're pretty sure. And what you're trying to do with this obfuscation is make it more difficult to say who really has the money. But if your concern is, well, I went to a KYC exchange and I bought this Bitcoin, this quarter Bitcoin, and I sent it to my Exodus wallet or I sent it to my Trezor or something. And now the government knows I have it. Well, they probably don't, but they could find out they could. One way or another, subpoena records from Coinbase and say Lily Farm Foods bought a quarter Bitcoin on September 13th, 2022. If they did that and they tried to say you owed them money. At that point, if you still own the Bitcoin, you don't owe them any money. Do you understand? Like you owe them nothing. And if they said, well, we want it, we're seizing it for whatever reason. Go ahead. Good luck. Try to pick out the right atom in the universe with the seed phrase and go ahead and take it if you can. But the thing you'd want to be able to do most is say, yes, I bought that Bitcoin. Yes, it's mine. No, you can't have it. And I still have it. Maybe I I lost my seed phrase in a boating accident, but I didn't sell it. I didn't profit on it. I owe you nothing. That's what you'd want to be able to say. I guess it's different if you're taking Bitcoin for payments and not reporting that revenue in taxes. I think if you're taking revenue into your business in any form at all, Bitcoin, cash, Great British Pounds, Spacecoin, Douchecoin, whatever it is, and not reporting that transaction as business you've done, you're taking a huge risk with the IRS – I want nothing to do with that. So when I am paid in in compensation in any form in my business, I pay taxes on it. So again, I would want, I would want to be able to say, yes, Lily Farm Foods bought a lifetime membership MSB from me on September 20th. That was 300 bucks because I did a sale on it and made it actually available because it never is. And yes, I still have that $300 and no, you can't have it. And I paid you. My taxes in that tax year, here's my records from my CPA. Talk to her if you want any any more information about the fact that we tendered the, the taxes we're supposed to. And instead of worrying about trying to hide revenue, which is a bad idea, and they will get you up the butt for it. Hard. And I mean hard. No lube, no reach around, no kiss. Right? Like, if you do, like, that is the worst thing to do. No. You go back to what I've always taught. This has nothing to do with crypto. This is taxes. You find a good tax attorney and if your situation is complex enough, uh, I'm sorry, you a good CPA and if your situation is complex enough, a tax attorney and you understand that the the tax code is like two giant super phone books from the 1980s from like Manhattan and that 95% of it is how to get out of the 5% that says what you have to do. And you work that. You put money in real estate. You set up a business. You do home office deductions. by the book, the exact formula that they say to use. You make anything in your life that you can legally and legitimately do so. You move it into the expense column through your business. And you minimize your taxes that way. You go out to eat. You discuss your business. You discuss your business and then you deduct half of what you went out to eat from your business. You go into business and you sell something. And then when you, you do entertainment, you deduct that. When you buy a piece of equipment that you buy as a demo expense, you do that. That's how you do tax. You don't hide money to do taxes. I don't want to hide my Bitcoin. I want to put my Bitcoin in a fortress and say, you can't have it because eventually my, my strategy long term in retirement, is probably, I'm not 100% on this, but probably the Michael Seller formula of you borrow against your appreciating asset in small volumes over time, and when you die, your heirs pay off the debt under the inheritance tax rules, which means at my level they'll probably pay no taxes unless there's major changes in that, and they get whatever's left. Or they keep the system rolling in a trust. That's I, I'm never paying, see, I'm not worried about this, I'm... My plan is to never pay taxes on Bitcoin I'm holding because I never plan to sell it. Now, some life event could come and make me sell some of it, and then I'll pay the tax on it. That, that's, how, that's how that works. Uh, on that note, you know we have a question here from Tom. Tom says, "Can you comment on unchained IRAs? Do you think it's a good route to take?" So, there's two reasons you would want an IRA for Bitcoin. There's three. Okay, one would be you want to trade and not have to worry about any of this capital gain shit. And you're a good trader. I'm not a trader. Occasionally, I take an opportunity here and there. But it's rare. And so that's not me. But if you wanted to do that, that makes sense. Number two is you have a lot of money in this form of, of uh, this vehicle, this investment vehicle. And it's the money you have to invest. So I have an IRA sitting over here with 300 grand in it. And I'd like to take one hundred thousand dollars of that and invest it in Bitcoin. But I don't want to pay penalties and interest and all that kind of shit. So I'm going to convert it to cash and roll it over into okay, that makes perfect sense. And if I did that, I I would move the block I want in Bitcoin in one block on a rollover. And then I would I would DCA into it over some time. I wouldn't just buy a hundred thousand bucks. If it went to seven grand, I would. But right now I would like figure out over the next, you know. 16 weeks, I'm going to buy X amount each week. And then maybe if there's a big dip, I would dogpile onto it and buy into it. So it would be just a free up capital that you have that you otherwise cannot. The third one would be in your retirement. You actually plan to sell Bitcoin in order to live or in, in order to enhance your retirement. And when you sell the Bitcoin and take it as a distribution from your account, you don't want to pay taxes on it. Because if you're doing anything other than a Roth at this point in history, you're wrong. I'm not even going to get into conventionals, right? Um, And and that would be a valid plan as well. That would be a valid plan as well. And it may be the case that in time, some of these IRAs will have options in them, like where you're providing liquidity and you're earning or you're loaning your money fully collateralized and you're earning 4% on your money inside your retirement account and you're distributing only the interest off it so the balance never goes down. That's okay with me too. Even outside of retirement, I'll pay tax on that gain if I don't have to devalue my. I, I want that stack to stay constant or growing at all times, right? Um, next, hey, do you have cash yet? Mind sending it to me in Bitcoin Lightning? I'll show you how. Oh, uh, I think that's that's a, that's an orange pill. Like orange, maybe we should stop calling it orange pilling. Orange seeding. Of course, we do have. Seed Saver, maybe there's some brand confusion. He's going to be on the show uh, pretty soon, by the way. Um, seed Signer, I'm sorry, Seed Signer. Uh, but maybe we need to call it like orange seeding. See, and that's a great thing. Like, do you have cash out? I'll send you some Bitcoin right now. How about you get Strike, and I'll show you how it works. Showing people how things work to me is is probably the greatest tool that we have uh, when it comes to getting people to use these technologies, and uh so t- anyway, today was a great show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you like what I do and you want to know the tools that I use in Bitcoin, uh remember, you can always just go to the Bitcoin dot com forward slash tools and everything that I personally use, even if I don't use it, if I have used it at some point, in my journey is there. I'm very clear about the fact that, like, yeah, it's great if you run your own node and you have full self custody and everything. But like, here's all the interim steps. There's places you can buy Bitcoin. Maybe it's not the best place in the world to hold Bitcoin because no exchange is. But this is the good and the bad and the ugly of all of it. And it's all stuff I've actually used. And if I earn a commission on it, it says right there, I earn a small commission on this. So that's one way you can support me. The thing that I just say, if you don't already have it, if you don't get it, you hate money, was my lead story today, which is card, And that's on that tools page. It's also on its own page. I think it's that important. I have my interview uh, with with the representative from Fold on there, uh, if you haven't heard it, and with what you saw today, like, God do that, and if you use my link, you're in my spin squad, and I might make a buck off you over a year. But hey, every little bit helps because I want that stack to go up. The other way you can help support me, you guys, I have of course, you know, two websites for those that follow me on the Bitcoin Breakout only, I also have the survivalpodcast.com. And the reason I even started doing Bitcoin Breakout as a thing was because a big part of my very large audience at TSP is not really into Bitcoin. But the other thing is, I noticed this commonality. I noticed that a lot of people that are into Bitcoin end up into keto and prepping and homesteading and permaculture and grass-fed beef and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, maybe if I go out and speak to the Bitcoin crowd in a way that's a little bit different, if I become the guy that talks about lightning, but not from a technical weenie standpoint, but a practical application standpoint, if I bring the people on the show that normally don't get on shows like the bigger Bitcoin shows, like, like Peter McCormack's show, I'm not worried about, you know, the, the great investment advisor of our time. The company is actually building tech. They'll reach more Bitcoiners and I'll bring more people into the space that is TSP. So check that out if you haven't. And one of the things you'll find there is that I do. Uh, item reviews, sometimes they have to do with prepping, sometimes they have to do with Bitcoin, sometimes they have nothing to do with either. This is kind of an in-between. Uh, my item of the day-to-day is the King Cooker 12-slot leg and wing grill rack. Uh, my buddy David Siegler, who I did a cooking show with for a while, said this thing is magic when he ate food off. You can see how the wings hang there if you're watching it. But what I think it does better than wings is the drumsticks. It allows the chicken to hang and be cooked with the air around it. And I have some amazing recipes built into this write-up today. Again, just go to survivalpodcast.com and uh, start uh, scrolling down. If you're listening to this well into the future, where it's kind of full, fell off the front page, just search for Cooker, K-O-O-K-E-R. You'll find it right away in the search box there. And uh, let me give you one recipe that's not in the write-up. There's this stuff right here, Walker's Wood Chicken Seasoning. This stuff is fantastic. And this is how you make something that'll blow your mind and it'll be keto and it'll have rice. That's not really rice. So you want to rub your chicken down with this stuff really good. There's the hot version and the mild version. The mild version still has some really good punch because it uses scotch bonnet, uh, peppers and some other things. And you rub that chicken down today and you put it in a safe container and throw it in the refrigerator and wait till tomorrow. You wait till tomorrow. Then you take your legs or your wings. I think this works better with legs. You hang them just like this and you put them on your grill. And you use a smoker tube, a smoker tube like this one right here. And you load it up with smoker pellets and you run that thing for about an hour with the grill off. No heat. You cold smoke it however you want. We've actually used the real pimento wood from Jamaica, but it's expensive and I don't think it makes that big a difference. Hickory, mesquite, whatever you, apple, whatever you want to use. You, You run an hour of cold smoke on it. Then you turn your grill on and you cook over indirect heat. You cook those chicken legs over indirect heat until they're about done. This is the thing. And if you look at – I have a video on here, and you'll see how I did it with aluminum foil. You can either do it with a pan. You'll have to watch the video to see it. Or you make a reservoir with aluminum foil so that when all those drippings are coming down, they don't go into your grill to cause grease fires later. And you reserve that grease. That is full of flavor. That is money. We do not want to throw that away. We then take, we let the chicken cool down a little bit, take it off the rack, and we throw it over direct heat and crisp the skin a little bit more, and we take it off. We take that grease, we put it into a uh, frying pan, and we throw a, a package of cauliflower rice into there, and we cook that cauliflower rice with that grease, maybe add a couple tablespoons of butter extra. Really, really fat. We're not, we're not hiding from fat with keto guys. We love animal fats, right? And a very few plant based fats like coconut oil and avocado oil and olive oil, if they're real. But in this case, we just use good old butter and we cook that rice and that cauliflower rice will taste like whatever you cook it in. And it will, it will be very similar to rice. The only thing you don't want to do is overcook it to mush, but you really have to cook it a long time to overcook it. What you must do is two things. One, cook the cauliflower stink out of it. Cook, like some, the like stuff we get from Costco, it comes four big bags of it and a, a, another bag. It's all organic. It's way cheaper than you can make it yourself, but it, it tells you to microwave it in that bag. Do not do it. The cauliflower stink is unreal. So we, we have to cook it long enough, but before we even cook it, What I always do, take cauliflower rice, comes in a bag, usually keep it frozen, let it defrost, poke a couple holes in the bottom of that bag and gently squeeze it and squeeze as much water out of it as you can before you add it to the pan. Cook that in that Jamaican rice and serve that chicken on that rice with that juice cooked into it. It will blow your mind. It's 100% keto. You can't eat too much of it if you're on a carnivore, ketovore diet, right, because you got the rice that's not really carnivore. It is fantastic, and that rack, that rack is magic. Again, you can find it at tspaz.com. Everybody that's ever eaten stuff I've cooked with is like, I cannot believe you get chicken this way. And, again, it's because of that air, heat moving around it, and definitely use the drip catch pan. Even if you're not going to use the drippings, always use the drip catch pan so that you don't make a mess, you don't set your grill on fire. You could put this in the oven too. Same thing. You don't want that grease going down in your oven, and you don't want grease fires. And if you cook in the oven, especially with it, put about an inch of water in your catch pan. And that way the grease will float on top of it. It won't stick to the pan. It'll be easy to clean the pan up. The steam will help keep the chicken moist and it won't start a fire in your oven. So there's a ton more information on this. It's on sale today for seven bucks. It's normally 14 bucks. So it's half off. Get one. You can thank me later and you can always help support the show. Do that online shopping at tspaz.com. I hope today has been educational for you. I hope some of you guys that are holdouts on Bitcoin that are giving this thing a chance will do the research. One thing I would say to you, if you're like, I like all this stuff Jack's saying, but I don't have a real fundamental understanding of this. Robert Breedlove, who will be on the show soon as well in October, did a wonderful series, like 13 episodes with Michael Saylor. I really understood Bitcoin before it. But it was even better after I listened to it. That's a big time commitment. But the other thing you can do, follow me on Fountain. And if you follow somebody on Fountain, you can see all their clips. I have the best of the Michael Saylor series in clips in my Fountain profile. They range from two minutes to five minutes long, most of them. It's probably an hour, hour and a half of listening. The most impactful stuff that Michael Saylor's done I have in clips on my profile on Fountain. All you gotta do is go into Fountain and look for Jack Speargo. Follow me up there and get all those clips. They're all there. And if you like them, you know, you send me 10 sats every time you hit like. Uh and those of you that have been boostergramming me on Fountain, thank you very much. I wanted to announce this real quick at the end. Once again, the survival podcast is in the top 10, actually, top five of most supported podcasts on Fountain. And we are not a bit, you know, we do Bitcoin breakout once a week. We're not a Bitcoin centric podcast. That's pretty amazing. The, 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 the four podcasts that have finished ahead of me again are three of Adam Curry's. That's a pod father. What are you going to do? And, uh, Marty Bent. Marty Bent. And I can't think of the guy that podcasts with him. So being number five behind that group, I, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Thank you guys very much. One of you guys sent me like a 75,000 sat Instagram. Uh, I want to read some Booster Grounds, but this show went long, so uh, we'll try to throw out another time this week where I can read some of the, the top boosters. I want you to know I read them all. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking for people to maybe help me with something for these snipers on Twitter that say nobody uses lightning, it doesn't work. I'd like to set up a live stream where I actually have Fountain open, and I have people streaming to me while – not not for that video – But just stream, just pick an episode and stream to it. I'd like to get like twenty or thirty people streaming at once, so you just see the transactions rolling in one set, two set, three sets, four sets a minute, over and over and over and over. Yeah, Matt Odell, that's that's Matt Odell and and Marty Bent. Yeah, they they, they're number like number three this week. I'm number five. Adams one, two, and four. Right, so I feel pretty good about that. And, And just get like we'll pick a time. If you want to like set up for that, I'll make a little folder where I can email people like when it's going to happen. Just send me an email, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Uh, TSPC fountain in the subject line. I'll throw you in the folder. It'll be probably sometime next week. I don't want to do it in the middle of one of these longer episodes because I want it to be its own thing. It's also the case the audio will not be quite to the level because I will have to either sacrifice my USB port for my camera or for my mic and use the deck mic when I do it. So I don't want that in the middle of a podcast, but I, I think it would just be great. You know, nobody uses whatever. here's a two minute video, right. Of hundreds of transactions, sub one cent transactions coming in and you guys can boost. Maybe we'll do it for like 15 minutes. Right. And like you guys can be, I'll read the boost as they Cause you can boost any episode and I'll just be watching. Oh, we just got a booster gram. Says so how's it working, Jack, whatever. Like I think that would be fun. And I really, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. Nobody uses it. It doesn't work. It doesn't have... Bullshit. Let's prove a point. And, you know, you can participate in that for well under a dollar. And uh, I think it'd be fun to be part of it. And, you know, I'll be reading your usernames and your booths. That'd be fun. So if you want to do that, shoot me an email. We'll get that set up in the next week or so. Uh, but I got a lot going. I got a workshop coming up I got to get out and, and some other stuff going on. But we'll do it soon. Thank you, guys. And tomorrow... I have something that's sort of crypto related. Um, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. I have the uncommunist, uh, Alex Stavecki and Mark Moss coming on the show. Now, why is that not a Bitcoin breakout? Because we're going to be talking about geopolitics more than Bitcoin. I'm sure Bitcoin will come into it, but that was, a, that was a pretty good win. So, so Alex reached out to me and wanted to be on the show, and he filled out the form. I don't know if you guys know who Mark Moss is, but that's pretty big win, too. And he's like, do you want to have just me, or do you want Mark on? I'm like, yeah, I want Mark on. So we've got both of them booked for tomorrow. We're going to have a great episode tomorrow. You guys take care. I'll catch you then. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out?